It is a joy to be with you, and I am uh, overwhelmed by the uh, gesture of the church board and by the kindness of all of you. I'm very grateful for those of you that I've not met or that are new this Sunday. My name is Dee, and uh, I have the privilege of pastoring here at the church. We are spending this month in the book uh, or the letter of Corinthians and appreciate the reading that just took place. We're going to dig in a little bit deeper into that passage. It's uh, an intriguing portion of that reading. Verse 7 makes reference to a secret. Secrets are fun, usually, unless you are the object of the secret and nobody is telling you. Secrets make you feel important when you hold them. Make you get a little bit nervous as to whether or not you've given away the secret. Here we have in verse 7 a reference to the secret wisdom of God. Not so much a secret that is to be kept from people, but secret simply because not everyone has yet heard or understood The secret. This is something that goes back before time began, is what this passage says. It is God's wisdom. A secret that is based on what God has done to bring about reconciliation, to bring about renewal. It is is God's grace extended to us not because of anything we've done, but simply because of God's love. I, I don't like at all to brag or share things that make it sound self-serving or a little self-grandizing, but I, I got something in the mail, and I just, I'm a little proud of it, and so I wanted to share it with you on this day. It's addressed to outstanding business leaders. And inside it says, congratulations, Selden Kelly, you've been identified as a leader in your field. And we would like to extend to you a special offer to receive Fortune Magazine at your executive rate of just $10. I get that rate because I've been identified as a leader in my field. Thank you. Yeah. I'm not sure I'm reading you correctly, but you seem far less impressed with that than I was hoping you would be. I would contend that our culture is built at least in part on that very kind of transaction. Affirmation, recognition, accolades that then are tied into some kind of uh, offer, marketing, um, some kind of uh, give and take for the kindness or affirmation or words that I have stated about you. It is 
at least in part, what we have built a portion of our economy upon, strategy and marketing, a way by which we transact with one another, this give and take in exchange for what you might say or do, for what I might say or do. The secret of God's wisdom is not that at all. There is not a string attached to God's offer of grace toward us. There's not an if-then kind of relationship. It is God's gift to everyone. Here is what I am offering. The best you possible. And I know you because I created you, God says. And I'm offering you all of me. It is not just grace. It is the consequences of grace that God is offering. And it's hard for us to fully understand what that implies or what that means. Sometimes we act like we want that. I'm not sure that we always do. This passage speaks about Isaiah, and one of the scripture readings for this week comes out of Isaiah. The reference in this text takes us to Isaiah 64, where the statement is made that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, your mind hasn't even begun to conceive of what God is willing to do for you. What an amazing promise. It is beyond my imagination. And in those moments where I have given myself to God, I have to confess that it hasn't made everything exactly like I thought some dream fantasy might be, but it has far exceeded anything I could have ever imagined. And I know that there are areas of my life where the only thing that has hindered God is my trust. My willingness to say, okay, God, it's all yours. I've said this before. I, I love this church. There are many reasons why I love this church. There are so many aspects, characteristics that jump off the page to me. Um, I experienced one of the beautiful uh, attributes of living close enough in the neighborhood that I get to interact with some of the members of our church. If you don't know this, I am um, very fortunate. The church has provided a place for us to live that's uh, just down Moana, about nine homes. And because there are many of you who walk that uh, sidewalk or drive past, I get several waves and roll down windows and comments that are done. And it's a, a very nice part of being in the neighborhood. This particular weekend that we've just been in, 
was a fun weekend for me. I, I got to tackle a project. I had um, some repairs or some things to do for two large sections of my fencing. And wow, it was wonderful because I got to pull out several power tools and just hook them all up. And one was the great, the circular handsaw thing that just is so loud and it just lets out this roar and then when it rips through a piece of wood, there's just something satisfactory about that that doesn't matter if anything gets repaired, you just want to cut things. And I, I've got a power drill that I pulled out, and you can just put screws into your heart's delight over and over again. It's, it was wonderful. So I've, I've got the power tools out. I've got some pieces of the fence disassembled. That's always the easier part. And one of the members of the church walked by and uh, asked what I was doing, which was great, but it's all in how you ask that question in terms of how it ends up being received. It, it would have been nice for somebody to say, hey, what you doing? It felt far more like, hey, what are you doing? That's kind of what it felt like as I was on the receiving end of this. I felt like the next phrase was going to be, keep your hands where I can see them and step away from the tools. That's what I thought was coming next. I I don't know if this individual was protecting the neighborhood or protecting my family or just in defense of the fence itself. I'm not sure. But how you say some things matter. And I love that somebody would care enough to confront me on whatever it might have been. But let me tell you what I really, really love about this church. It's one of my favorite characteristics. And that is that I believe very deeply, based on my experience, that in this fellowship of believers, we have such great diversity of thought, differences in perspective and experience, And we bring to this place different viewpoints on so many things. And I want to tell you that I believe it is far easier to migrate to fellowships where people think like you think, have the same thoughts that you have or I have, have the same perspective on issues, So that if we're hearing statements from up front or we're in conversation over a cup of coffee, we can be well assured what will likely come out of somebody's mouth. It is far, far, far more difficult, but I would contend far more important, to be at a place where we don't all think alike, where we don't all share the same perspective. Because it then gives us the opportunity to set those things down and worship together. And to focus in on those things that hold us steady, God's wisdom and grace, the death and resurrection of our Savior and Creator. 
it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. And it calls us to be very conscientious of those differences because it would seem to me that it then becomes very easy to step into places that create hurt and pain and harm and division. And that's what Paul is talking about in these beginning chapters of Corinthians. The very thing that I love about this place is also what makes it a hard place to be. But I think the value leads us to something that is so important, so valuable, that I wouldn't want to be any place else. Here it says in this chapter, at the very end of the last verse of the chapter, it makes reference to us having the mind of Christ. Well, that's unusual. What might that look like? Paul proceeds it by saying, who can know the thoughts of a person? I can see their actions, but who can really know the thoughts behind those actions? Well, just the spirit of the person that rests within, within them. Only that person can know that. How much more so, who can know the mind of God? But Paul says, it's the Spirit of God that knows the mind of God. And here's the amazing secret. Not to be kept from anyone, but instead to be shared. And that is that the Spirit of God has made known to us the mind of God. I mentioned that there are references this week to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 58 is one of the other readings. Isaiah 64 is the reference that comes right out of this chapter in Corinthians. In these passages, it is most likely that the people who had been taken captive in, uh, by the Babylonian Empire were allowed to come back. And when they came back, it was not quite as glorious as they thought it was going to be. It didn't meet their expectations. Their expectations exceeded reality. And Isaiah begins to speak both the voice of the people and speaks the voice of God. So in this passage, Isaiah speaks in 60, chapter 64 at the beginning and says, Oh God, that you would that you would part the heavens, that, that you would make the earth shake, that you would upset the status quo, that you would let us know that you are present, it seems, God, like you are silent. This crying out for God to do something that breaks into our reality in some amazing way, and I'm not really sure that... We really want that. God, if you agree with my thoughts and my plans, then would you part the skies, shake the earth, 
and let others know of what it is that is true? Or do we really want God to enter in and challenge us? Challenge the way we think. Challenge our perspective. Wrestle with our history. Because that's not an easy task. Isaiah actually tells us the mind of Christ. This isn't the secret part. I mean, it's just bold there in Isaiah chapter 58. I'll tell you what I want. I want you to break the chains of injustice. I want you to break the cords of the yoke. I want you to set the captives free. I want you to give freedom to those who are oppressed. I want you to break every yoke. I want you to feed the hungry. I want you to provide shelter for those who are wandering. I want you to clothe the naked. I don't want you to turn away from, from blood relatives, from family. If you'll do these things, you'll see the light. You'll be the light. Do these things, and you'll call out to me, and I will say, here I am. It's not a big secret. That's the mind of Christ. If all of those things seem too grandiose, too big, too, um, too far beyond my resources, I might remind you that your resources, God and God's spirit. But apart from that, I, I, you may still say that is above and beyond what I can even imagine doing. Then in the second half of verse 9 of chapter 58, God just brings it really close to home and says, stop the finger pointing. Stop the malicious language. That's the mind of God. I was reminded this week how hard that is to do. wasn't here at church with our church people, but I was in a setting that was a Christian environment. And I overheard somebody speaking about another group of people and made reference to them as just being a bunch of idiots. Before I judge that individual, I need to be reminded of my own language at times. But I thought, well, what is that model? Any different than anyone else in my culture? What does that say? We are, we are in a place, I thought as the weeks and months pass, that things were going to get easier. They've gotten tougher. They've gotten tougher to navigate the differences, tougher to navigate the ways in which we engage in dialogue 
It's gotten tougher to live out our faith, but I've got to tell you, this is the most incredible opportunity we have for the church to be something that's different. In the way we treat one another, in the way we converse, in the way in which we check our language, in the way in which we stand up for things when we feel like we need to stand up, the manner in which we do that. And I don't have a formula for what it looks like, but it's so easy to step away from this passage and say, okay, I'll get back to that mind of Christ thing later. Right now I need to do this. That's not the call. It is to have the mind of Christ and to subject to every part of who we are to what it means to reflect that. April 19th, 1995, at 9 o'clock in the morning, I was sitting at my desk in my office. Two minutes later at 9.02, my office shook. I heard a loud noise. I didn't know it at the time, but half of the Murrow Federal Building was blown up. 168 people killed. 382 buildings damaged. Horrific moment in history. On the news that evening, news reporters frantic trying to make sense of what happened in our town. We're at the home of an individual asking all kinds of questions that implied involvement in what took place. The person being interviewed in his home was of an ethnic background different than my own. I, like many others, had fears that rose up. And fears so often attach themselves to experiences we've had. Logical or not, they attach themselves to experiences we have and we tend to generalize. And in that generalization, often make judgments that are way off the mark. Come to find out, Timothy McVeigh and a comrade, Terry Nichols, were the ones responsible for perpetrating that terrible act. They looked just like me. Terry Nichols was from Michigan. That's where I went to high school. It is true that in that moment, I had a difficult time hearing the scripture truth that says, perfect love casts out all fear. I wasn't particularly full of any love in those moments as I made my generalizations and judgments and assumptions and cast all kinds of categories. We're called into a place where we have been so loved by our Creator 
to confront every fear with love. And to check all of our actions and attitudes and spirits against that standard, no one else's standard, the standard of God's love. And I know it's not a comfortable place to be. I know there are people in this congregation that are uncomfortable with protesters. Yet that's our heritage. We're Protestants. It's kind of where we come from. The flip side is, there are protesters that are uncomfortable with others who have taken a stance in leadership and power. Both have probably only captured a portion of the larger truths that are at play. And I'm not saying what you should do or what you shouldn't do. That's preposterous for me to assume that I would know what God would lead you to. And I don't think it's at all uniform for everyone. I think it is in the great mixture of our experiences and background that God helps us get to places that we couldn't get to without that kind of interaction. But how we do it makes all the difference. The spirit behind it, the commitment is to Christ. And a willingness to say, okay, God, where in my life is my heart, my mind, my actions, my attitudes, where are they not like you? Where has the shadow in my life taken so control that I'm living out of a place that is hostile to you and hostile to others? What I have loved about this church is also what's so very hard about this church. The great diversity in thought and perspectives. And the willingness to come and sit down beside one another and worship. You know as well as I do that I could raise two dozen issues. Whether it be politics, economics, education healthcare, all kinds of things. And I would never do this, but just ask for a show of hands on what side of this debate do you find yourself? And then ask you to go opposite sides of the room and sit with those that are like-minded with you. I would never do that because that's not this place. And what is this place is to sit down beside someone and pass the peace of Christ when we greet one another, and to share at the table of communion, where we say, God offers me grace. How can I live in a way that doesn't recognize the significance of that gift? Nothing I've done to deserve an invitation to the table. So what might it look like for then me to live that out toward others? It means I might listen well. It means that I might pay attention to the beam that's hanging out of my own eye before I give a whole lot of conversation to the speck of dust that might be in somebody else's eye. 
my not very far off paraphrase of Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. I have become so accustomed to the beam in my own eye that I can look around it pretty easily and don't realize that everybody else sees it but me. If I take care of that, there's a chance that maybe in God's kindness and graciousness might allow me at some point in time to speak about the speck of dust in somebody else's eye. That might be nice. Paul in Corinthians is talking about divisions. We are in the midst of great divisions. Not easy to navigate some of these waters. Really, the simple answers have already been used up. We're on to some of the harder ones to try and figure out. What it would mean to the people who look on for a fellowship of believers to model what it's like to live in the midst of the tension and to come to a place of grace toward one another. To live in the midst of the tension and to keep coming. To live in the midst of the tension and to say what I do celebrate is this amazing godly wisdom that before time began, God provided a way of reconciliation, a way of redemption, a way of life, an abundant life that begins now. I really believe it is exactly what our culture needs to see. Oh God, please help it to be so. As the band plays and we begin to prepare our hearts for communion, I invite you to do what Paul admonishes in Corinthians at the table of grace. And that's to examine oneself. Paul says we should all do that as we consider partaking. Lord, please send your spirit now to shine a light into our life. The ways in which we might have hindered all that you would want to do because of how we have held back from you all of who we are. Lord, is it true that more than my eyes have ever seen, more than my ears have ever heard, beyond what I could ever conceive, you've prepared that for us? Give us courage to step into that place, to be recipients of your love, to give over to you all of the corners of our life. Help us to let go of fears. Stop us in our tracks when we generalize. 
Help us to look into the eyes of individuals, to see and receive your love, and then to be seen as purveyors of your grace. Maybe we model in this place great diversity. Thank you for that, Lord. And keep us faithful to sit down beside one another and worship you. To lift you up. To learn and grow from one another. To encourage one another to simply be obedient to God's call. Even if in that obedience it leaves me in a place of uncertainty. Thank you, Lord. Be with us at this table of your grace. Milton, come and lead us if you will.